Good morning, church. I just want to thank Janine and um, the rest of the worship team for so skillfully leading us into the presence of God to prepare our hearts to hear from Him this morning. And I pray that you do, whether it's through song, through prayer, or through the giving of God's Word this morning, which I'm privileged and excited to do, that God would speak to you. We don't want River Rock to be a place that becomes a habit for you, that you just show up because, well, that's what you do on Sundays. We want River Rock to be a place where you can come and connect with God and let your life be changed. And so I pray that your life will somehow be impacted today to walk more closely with the Lord from having been here. If you don't know me, my name is Stephen. I'm the associate pastor here. I'm proud to serve at this church. Our lead pastor, Charlie, is actually serving this morning, too. He's over in children's ministry. And so I said, if you're, if you're wondering which classroom Charlie is serving in, when you walk out and you see the kids coming out of their classrooms, just look for the kids that got, like, marker all over their face and, like, their body and stuff. You're like, yep, that was Pastor Charlie's class right there. So uh, make, make sure you thank that rookie over there in children's ministry and thank him um, for serving um, your children this morning, too. Okay, I, I want to begin this morning by introducing our new series. Uh, we're starting a new series called Seven. It has nothing to do with a prominent movie that came out a number of years ago. This actually comes from the book of Proverbs. Okay, the book of Proverbs. And I'm just going to start and jump right into it this morning. We're going to go and read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. If you want to open your phone or your word, chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. If you don't have your Bible, you can look up here on the screen and we'll show you there. It says, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. There we have the name of the series, seven. Arrogant eyes or haughty eyes, depending on the version you're reading. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet that are eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brethren. Okay, so you see those seven things there. Just notice that many of them, Paul's using, I'm sorry, not, not Paul, Solomon's using a metaphor here uh, with the body, talking about different parts of the body on most of those, to describe how uh, there are seven things that God finds that he just hates. And today we're going to be talking about arrogant or haughty eyes. Arrogant or haughty eyes. I want to take a moment and just thank um, Miss Amy Miles. I don't know where she's at in the room this morning. Amy does a lot of the artwork that you'll see, and she came up with this design uh, for the series. So thank you so much for giving of your talent to the church, Amy. Let's talk a little bit about haughtiness. This is not a common word in modern English, haughtiness. We tend to think, well, what exactly is that? And so I want to take a minute and just describe what haughtiness is. Haughtiness is not um, much different than the word pride. Okay, so when it says haughty eyes, it means prideful eyes or arrogant eyes. And you, you okay, well, what's that mean? Is that like the way that they their eyes look to you, tells you if they're haughty or prideful. And so, no, what it is, is haughty or arrogant or prideful eyes is a way of seeing. Everybody say a way of seeing. Way of seeing. Correct. Very good. A way of seeing. This is going to be like, you know, some, some action here to keep you awake in these comfortable seats this morning. It's a way of seeing. So it's a state of being where you are blinded to your own sin and your own weaknesses but the weaknesses and the sin of others is magnified around you. Those of you who know your Bible well, this sounds a lot like the Pharisees, if you know who the Pharisees were. 
They could see everybody else's sin really, really clearly, but they couldn't see their own. They were blinded to it, okay? And what, what I find is that typically prideful people, those with haughty eyes, these are folks who typically can't see what's in them. They can't see the sin that is there, and it's hiding inside of them. And so that's what makes haughty eyes or prideful eyes difficult to see. When we sin outwardly, when I do something to my brother that is sinful, the action is very clear and it's easily seen, and therefore I can be convicted of that rather easily. But behind that action is usually something that caused me to think about that and dwell on it and then eventually act on it. And so while we usually deal with the actions, we don't normally deal with the root cause. Are you following me? And so haughty eyes, prideful eyes, they're a way of seeing. It's not a thing. It's a way of seeing the world, seeing ourselves, and seeing our God. And because it's prideful or it's haughty, that view is skewed. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. And my number one goal this morning is to help all of us, myself included, to begin to see that hidden pride that lurks inside of us. Pride isn't something we teach on very often. And I'll wager it's probably not something that most of us sitting in the room here think that we have a problem with. And so one of the things uh, that I want to help you with is, in a way that helped me, is to just describe certain aspects of prideful people and see if you hear things from yourself in this. I recently took a quiz on this. It's actually found in one of the books I'm going to show you here this morning uh, that you get to the end and you go, oh my gosh, I really do have a problem with pride. And so listen to these and tell me what you think. I made a list so I wouldn't lose them here. Okay, number one, a prideful person believes they know better than the word of God and will often twist it out of its rightful meaning or its context in order to suit their own desires or justify their own position. Now that was a mouthful. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is they'll look at the Word of God, they'll see something in the Word of God that something in them goes, eh, I don't really like that part. I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm going to do it my way instead, and so I'll twist the Word of God to make it okay in my mind. And you might be thinking, I don't really do that. Well, think about it. I'll give you a few biblical examples, okay? First off is Saul, and you can look this up if you're taking notes. Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13, he does it. King Uzziah, and Saul was a king as well, King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, he did it too. They were kings, you see, but they were not priests. And God had clearly lined out the role of a king and a priest. And these two kings decided, hey, um, I'm the king, I can kind of do what I want to do, and so I want to burn incense or I want to give this sacrifice, and they both paid a terrible price for doing so. They stepped out of their God-given role that was clearly delineated for them in the word of God. Okay. Another time that's a little more famous, you may remember this one a little more clearly, was Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, back when they were called Abram and Sarai, were barren. They couldn't have any children. God said, that's not true. You're going to have a whole mess of children. That's the southern version, a whole mess of children. Okay. And I'm going to give them to you, but you need to wait on my timing. Okay. And so time passes, no baby's coming. And if you know the rest of the story, they're like, well, God said we were going to have it. So why don't we just take matters into our own hands? And maybe it's because I, and, they, and, and this was Sarah saying, maybe it's because I'm just old and barren, so let me just give you my handmaiden, and you sleep with her, and, and, and we will fulfill God's word through that. See how they, 
They took what God wanted and they twisted it instead of waiting on God's timing. And so ask yourself this morning, you may think you don't set yourself above God and his word, but have you ever taken a position that you were in and said, well, I know that's not my role, but, and then you do it anyway. Or I know God said this was supposed to happen. It's not happening as fast as I want it to happen, so I'm going to make it happen. Do you see what's happened there? And do you see the danger when you look at the word of God and you see something you don't like and you say to yourself, eh, did God really say that? Is that what God really meant? Do you know who you sound like when you say that? Does anybody know? Who said that? In the book of Genesis, who said that? Satan said that to Eve. Be careful with that, okay? That was the first one and probably the most important. The second one is a prideful person believes they know better than their leaders. That's really similar to this first one. Their leaders give them a task or they say this is what needs to be done and they say, well, we don't really have to do it that way. We can do it the way that we want to do it. That makes them really difficult to lead. A prideful person will not receive correction well, right? They don't receive correction well. Usually they either reject it outright or they wait till their leader's not around and they complain about the correction that was given and say that really wasn't fair and they then justify their actions, right? A prideful person doesn't relate to their peers any better. A prideful person usually doesn't listen very well. They're usually the first ones to speak up. When somebody comes to them and they're sharing a problem or a struggle, instead of listening to their friend well, they'll go, oh, I know exactly what to do. I know what you need to do. Do this, and everything will be okay. And they just open their mouth. Instead of listening and praying and considering, maybe God wants me to pray for this person and to hear from him first before I open my mouth. They usually lack tactfulness and gentleness. Prideful people usually do. Pride will often lead to isolation too. A prideful person will either, either isolate themselves, they don't think they need the body of Christ, they don't think they need the accountability that is inherent in that, and so they think, I can just kind of be on my own over here. Do you hear the pride in that? I don't, I don't need that. Or instead of isolating themselves, they find that because their company's not really pleasant, they end up being isolated by people around them because they don't want to be around them. Are any of these stinging anybody yet? Like they stung me? A prideful person forgets how much they've been forgiven and therefore they find it really hard to be graceful. I think, I think this is a biggie. When you forget how much you've been forgiven by the Father, it's easy to become prideful and look down your nose at others and withhold grace from them to hang on to bitterness and pain instead of letting it go and forgiving a prideful person finds making apologies very difficult. They're usually not one to apologize very well. They'll, they'll try to rationalize and yeah, but, yeah, but. A prideful person wants to lead but does not usually like to be led. For these reasons and more, I really believe, as I went through that list, I really, really believe that pride is at the root it's the foundation cause for so much turmoil within the church today. Pride is a really close relative to just selfishness, and so in that way, it really is kind of the bedrock that all sin stems from. That's why it's so important that we see it, we recognize it in us, 
and it hides so well. So we're going to talk more today about how is it that we can find our way out of pride, that we can see it and have the Lord help us. It's obvious that God takes pride really seriously. And I think it's time that we do too. If you, if you want to open your word, you can, but I'm going to just throw a few scriptures up on the slide here. These are just references, and you can reflect on these later. But every one of those, Proverbs, they're listed there, 334, Proverbs 11, 2, Proverbs 12, 15, 1533, 18, 12, 22, 4, Psalm 25, 9, Psalm 149, 4. If you were to read all of those, the summary of those is going to be this bottom statement here. Pride leads to disgrace, downfall, and deaf ears. But humility leads to favor, wisdom, honor, instruction, and a crown of victory. That's just in the Proverbs and Psalms. There's many more where that comes from. And we're going to look at a few more in detail here because God hates pride and he shows his favor to the humble. God hates pride, and he shows his favor to the humble. This is a phrase that's repeated throughout Scripture. And as we open our word, I want you to look at a few of these with me. Let's look at Proverbs 16.5. Listen to this one. It's pretty plain. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. But be assured, he will not go unpunished. Psalm 18, 27 says, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Are you seeing the theme? James chapter 4, verse 6 says, Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, in the second half of 5 and 6, it says, Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. What a powerful, powerful sentiment here. You see it echoed throughout the scripture. God looks at prideful people and he resists them. And God looks at humble people and he lifts them up. The irony here this morning is that, let me ask you a question. Who is it that you think needs a lesson on humility and pride this morning? It's the prideful person, right? Who is the person who is least likely to listen to and apply a lesson on pride and humility this morning? The prideful person. And so it's rather frustrating to come up with a message to teach on this because you recognize that the very thing you're trying to teach is to the person who does not want to hear it. And so, this morning, most of you, if you're kind of like me and you listen to a message like this, you may be sitting here and you're thinking, you're sitting in your chair and you're looking behind you and going, man, I sure hope so-and-so is here today. They need to hear this lesson, right? Or maybe you're a little more Christian than that and, you th and you're thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait till this is posted on the web, the recording. I'm just going to send them a text with the link to that and, and go, I was thinking of you today when I heard this sermon. I really think you're going to love it. Would you listen to this? And I think that's fine. I think it's wonderful to, to send people things to help them grow, but just be careful. Be careful. The Bible talks about this clearly in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. 
You can read it as they put it up here. But in essence, it says, be careful that in noticing your brother's sin, the speck in his eye that you've forgotten about the plank in your own eye. And it says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll be able to see more clearly to help your brother or sister. So be careful of that, that pride doesn't get you there. As I said before, I think the most dangerous thing about pride is its hidden nature. The most dangerous thing about pride is its hidden nature. It's, it hides in us deeply. It's an inner attitude that is camouflaged behind outer actions. Does that make sense? And we usually deal with the actions, but we don't ever get to the inner attitude that is the root of it. And so remember, it's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of seeing the people around you, how you see yourself and how you see God and his word. And in that way, I want to give you a a bit of a teaching moment here, and that is I want you to think about a child whom has been born with some sort of sight problem, some sort of vision problem, and they can't see clearly. For the first few years of life, does the child know that they have a vision problem? No. This This is how they think everybody sees. And it's not until... They're given, and you've seen these videos on Facebook, right, of like the, the, the kid that gets the corrective glasses for the first time, and we all go, oh, we gush over it, because you see their little face light up, and they go, wow, this is how the human being was meant to see. What if God could apply corrective lenses to your heart and my heart today that we would be humble enough to say, this is how I was meant to see. Because it's in there. Will you be humble enough this morning to know in your heart of hearts that that pride is lurking in there? And God wants to show you it. He wants to reveal it to help it be removed. So who needs a lesson on humility today? I'll ask it a second time. Who needs a lesson on humility today? Okay, I need to do some more teaching on pride. <laughs> Who needs a lesson on humility? Everybody in this room needs it. Everybody needs it. And so would you just take a minute and let's just pray together. Let's just take a moment, bow your heads and pray. Because no amount of preaching or teaching can really remove the pride that's in your heart and my heart. It's got to be the Father who does that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know how fruitless and meager my words must be compared to the task of moving men's and women's hearts. Only you can do that. So we pray, God, for your move of your spirit this morning, that you would go in and like a surgeon masterfully open us up gently and show us the pride that lurks inside of us. And by your Holy Spirit, begin to wipe it away and to cleanse us, and to replace it with good and virtuous nature. We need you to do that. We cannot do that on our own, Holy Spirit. We just admit humbly before you that we are fallen creatures apart from Jesus, that we need you. We need you desperately today, God. In your name we pray. Amen. In his book, um, I want to recommend two good books to you. And guys, these are literally so thin from your distance, I could hold them up, and you probably can't even really see them. But they're tiny. But these things are like dynamite, you know, because dynamite comes in small packages, right? These are incredible books. One's by Stuart Scott. If you want to see these, come talk to me afterwards. I'll show it to you. It's called From Pride to Humility. 
and the other one is just called Humility by Andrew Murray. These are wonderful books on this subject matter, and I highly encourage you to look into these and read them. They're fabulous. I actually got these one time when I was teaching a small group of men in discipleship, and I said, you know what? I think what I teach on pride, I think these guys could really benefit from this. And then I read those, and the Lord floored me. He said, you need these. And so look into those. I think you'll like them. And in in one of them, in this one, Humility, by Andrew Murray, he says this, Humility is the only soil in which virtue takes root. And a lack of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure. Said another way, evil, every evil, flows from the exaltation of self. Do you get that? And therefore, it follows that humility is the environment that fosters virtue. If pride fosters sin, humility fosters virtue. Are you following me? And so we have to cultivate humility. And in order to cultivate, we have to, you know, think about growing. We have to cultivate humility by uprooting pride in our hearts. Because the bad news is today, we're born with pride in our hearts. It doesn't, like, get there later in life. We are born with it. We come with it. Pride included, it says on our package. And so we have to learn to uproot it from our hearts. And in order to do that, we have to first see it. And that's where God has to help us see it and remove it from our hearts. Okay? And as a teaching opportunity here, I just want to remind you guys, you guys know Charlie. Most of you have been here. have heard um, his love affair with his front yard. Yes? How many of you have actually laid eyes on the golf course over on Clove Hitch? That, that is Charlie's front yard. Have you seen that? Yeah? Check it out. All right. Charlie's yard's amazing. I think we have one more. Look at that. You know, I drove by his house today, and he's leveling his yard with a bunch of sand uh, to make it perfectly level now, so like there's sand all over it. And, and I thought that the sand was just like a sand trap he was finally putting in along with a water obstacle uh, for his green that he was going to install. But yeah, so, so that's Charlie there looking after his yard. Wait, no, that's not Charlie. Where is the picture of Charlie cutting his yard? There it is. There's Charlie trimming his yard with the ruler and a pair of scissors. Right? Have y'all ever seen Charlie when he pulls up weeds from his yard? You can see Charlie walking around and he'll be surveying his, his yard there and then all of a sudden he'll go. Amanda! Amanda, honey, come here quick. Bring the tweezers. Bring the tweezers. Give me the scalpel. And Charlie gets down and he just finds the tiniest little weed and he's surveying that yard like a hawk. He's looking for any bit of weeds that are growing in his yard because he knows those weeds will choke out and destroy any chance of the grass around it to grow. And what if you and I this morning gave God the permission to take us by the hand and walk us through the front yard of our hearts and say, that one right there, kiddo. Let me deal with that one. Let me help you find each and every weed that is fostering sin in your life. Let me find that pride in you, and together we'll uproot that thing. We'll take it up by the roots because it doesn't die if you just cut the top off. You've got to get the root out. And what is the root of sin? It's the exaltation of self. It's pride. If humility is ever going to reign in our hearts, then we have to allow God to do that with us. 
Let's look at our text for the day, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 23. Turn there with me if you would. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 23. I'm going to read through them here. The Christian life. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts and be thankful. Let the message of the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18, Christ in your home. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said... Amen. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. And I want to take this real briefly and I want to walk you through this. I want you to listen as we go back. I want to look at verses 18 through 22 here, 18 through 22, and I want you to just listen for the parts that make your heart go, ooh, I don't like that. I don't like that because here's what I believe. I believe that anytime we get into relationships, which is what this section is about, anytime we get into relationships, pride will, will, will be clearly seen. That's where it shows up inside of us is in relationships because when you get into relationships, you're going to eventually have disagreements and disagreements reveal pride. Disagreements reveal pride. And I mean, think about it. If you're by yourself and you're having disagreements, you've got a whole other set of problems, and we need a different sermon to deal with that. But it's in relationships where those disagreements happen, and then we go, oh, okay, I can see. I'm prideful about that. I have a problem being humble about that. And so I'm not here today to necessarily talk about wives and husbands and children And slaves, we could call that like employers and employees today, okay? But what I want you to do is listen to your heart and see where the pride is there. Because when we say, wives, be submissive to your husband as fitting in the Lord. Ladies, does anything in you go, ooh, I don't like that. Yeah, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to twist that. Listen, this is God's word. I didn't write this. Or are you humble about it? Do you say, man, if it's in there, it's God's word, I need to live like that. I, I may not like it, I may not understand it, but I need to live like that. God help me to live like that. Husbands, in the same way. Don't be bitter towards your wife. Do you see how the scripture assumes there's going to be disagreements? It says, husbands, don't be bitter towards your wife. And if you look at elsewhere where this is taught, like in Ephesians chapter 5, and it starts talking about husbands loving their wife well, it talks about a husband being sacrificial for her, gentle with her kind with her, willing to sacrifice himself for her, as Christ did for the church. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I wish my 11-year-old was in the room this morning. Maybe I can forward him this sermon. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. I needed to hear that. Don't be harsh with them. Don't rule over them. 
but bring them up gently, consistently in the teachings of the Lord. Fathers, do you need to hear that today? That breaks my heart. I, I needed to hear that. Slaves, obey human masters and everything, okay? You're working for a boss. You don't care for that boss. They don't treat you white. What do you need to remember? You're not really working for them. You're a man or woman of God. Who are you working for today? When you serve that boss who doesn't really deserve your respect because maybe they're, they're unethical, maybe you ought to ask yourself, well, okay, well, do I need to be working for this person then? Maybe I need to find a different place to work. But while I'm here, I'm going to serve them as I am serving the Lord ethically as best as I, as I can. That's humility. That's humility. That, that's not pride. So if in any of those you heard pride creep up in your life, I want you to go back and look at the first section that we talked about today. The first section of, of three there, verses 12 through 16. In your life as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as a father, as a mother, as a worker, as a boss. Lead. Put on, the scripture says. The scripture knows, like, if you've got pride today, the bad news is pride, you're not cured of pride today, and tomorrow it's not there. Unfortunately, those of you who have glasses and you wear contacts, you know that today your vision problem exists. Well, it's going to be there tomorrow morning. So put on. Put on kindness. What's it say? Put on compassion. Put on gentleness and patience. And wrap it up in a big bow of love. And the only way to get there, listen to me, if you haven't heard anything else, there is no other way, there is no shortcut. The only way to put on those things is if you start from a position on your knees in humbleness. God, I don't love them the way I should. I'm not patient with them the way that I should. I'm not gentle with them like I should be. Make me humble, God. Remind me of the example that exists in Philippians chapter 2 as we move into a time of communion now. I want you to listen to this. It's going to be on the screen, but don't, don't read it. Listen, close your eyes and see your Jesus. Don't see the screen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man, in his external form he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you remember with me this morning that in the giving of his life, Jesus didn't want to do what he had to do on the cross? And that he went to the Father and said, Is there any way out of this? Is there a different way? But not my will be done. Your will be done, Father. 
and he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. As we take communion this morning, let's not just remember it with our time of a sacrament here, but let's you and I honor it on our knees with a life of humbleness and follow his example.